The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's eight minutes past eight right now. Thank you so much for staying with us throughout the morning. And if you've just joined, welcome to the show. Now, this morning we are talking about the issue of parole. And, uh, of course, uh, before we begin our conversation, to help us understand the issues, AM Live producer Ronald Peary compiled this report on the mechanism which is parole. The Minister of Justice and Correctional Service, Michael Masuta, says in reaching his decision to deny Eugene de Kock bail, he has taken into account relevant laws and prescripts that regulate the parole process, in particular the provision of the Correctional Service Act. Listen as the Minister describes the parole process. When the offender is eligible to be considered for parole, the case management committee called the CMCC prepares a profile for the offender. The CMC either recommends for parole or requests a further profile within a certain stipulated period. The CMCC then sends the profile and its recommendations to the Correctional Supervision and Parole Board, which is called the CSPB. The CSPB would then make a recommendation on the offender's application for parole. Such recommendation would be referred to the National Council for Correctional Services, the NCCS. The NCCS uh, is tasked with, amongst others, making parole recommendations to the Minister on offenders serving life sentences. Former President F.W. de Klerk has reacted to the parole decision, saying Eugene de Kock should be treated equally as any other prisoner in his position. Our view is that uh, Eugene de Kock should be treated in the same manner as any other prisoner in his situation. He has served more than 20 years in jail, and it is difficult to see on what grounds parole has now been refused. The simple question is whether de Kock has served his term and whether under similar circumstances for similar crimes, similar people would be granted or would not be granted parole. The Minister of Justice and Correctional Services, Michael Masuta, says his decision is fair and that it will afford the victim, the offender and other relevant structures time to participate in and finalize the parole process. I am of the view that it is fair and in the interests of victims and the broader community that the families of the victims are afforded an opportunity to participate in the parole consideration process of the offender as required by laws governing our parole process. In the circumstances, I have not approved parole at this stage but have directed that a further profile be resubmitted not later than 12 months instead of the two-year period prescribed by law. And that was Justice Minister Michael Masuta ending that report by Ronald Peary. Now, our question on the Forum at 8 this morning is, do politics get in the way of the parole process? Parole, uh, it seems, has become a contentious issue in South Africa. And uh, the most recent example was the former apartheid-era killer Eugene de Kock, who, uh, whose parole application was delayed by Justice Minister Masuta. And the latest decision about de Kock is uh, but one in a line of many 
highly contested pronouncements on the parole of prisoners serving sentences for a variety of crimes. Now joining us to discuss this further, Mr. Lucas Munting, who is the co-founder and project coordinator of the Civil Society Prison Reform Initiative. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning and good morning to the listeners. And we're also joined by Emmanuel Maravanyika, who is a lecturer in criminology and criminal justice at Monash University. Thanks for your time as well. Thank you. Good morning to the listeners. Now, let me start with you, uh, Mr. Maravanyika. Just looking at the parole process, what do you think are some of the challenges uh, that uh, we are faced with as a nation when it comes to this? Well, Okay, first, before looking at the challenges, we need to understand what parole is, uh, just in its general context. Um, of course, as you know, there's a general parole um, where an individual is released from prison prior to the uh, completion of his uh, court-sanctioned sentence. And as you know, there's also medical parole, which is a different type of parole, but that which we're not discussing to the, today. So those are your two types of parole. Uh, so the parole we're discussing today, generally where um, an individual has served a particular number of years or, or, or a particular portion of a sentence and is eligible to be released um, early based on certain um, criteria and certain conditions that must be fulfilled. Now, um, in light of that, we also have a program in South Africa now called a Victim um, Empowerment, which uh, in essence plays a part of um, this parole process. And whereas, whereas the victim's uh, can participate in parole hearings in terms of making presentations um, uh, alongside the applicant for the parole who wants to be paroled. He makes his presentations, but also the victim um, not so much must be uh, heard, but can be heard if the victim wants to be heard. And I think at that point I can introduce some of the problems now. Mm-hmm. In, ter- in terms of the uh, procedures and laws on parole um, in South Africa, um, yes, the victim has a right to make presentations as to what, um, how the parole will affect them, what impact the parole will have on them in terms of will they be further victimized, um, how the community will react, etc., etc. So the victim has a right to participate or also has a right not to participate, but they must notify the parole board. So in such instances where I was listening to to the sound bites from the minister also reading up um, in the various media papers what has been reported, we are not sure in this instance whether or not um, the victim had, in this particular case to the Eugene de Kock case, had notified um, the parole board and was not given the the opportunity, or who are the the victims? This is yet another problem. Um, You can have quite an indeterminate number of victims Mm depending on who the offender was, what happened, et cetera, et cetera. Who do you decide is the appropriate victim in a particular case? There are some cases where it is quite clear and simple, where there's one victim, one family, that's quite easy. Yeah. But in a case where, especially in these apartheid cases, where Dukok is involved with many, with multiple victims, um, especially even those who are dead, their surviving uh, partners or families can participate. But where do you draw the line that this is enough and this is not? Uh, so that's one particular problem indeterminate number of victims. Um, also, again, uh, there are usually some delays in, the, in parole are usually due to factors not related to the applicant. Remember, a parole process is about the, par- the potential parolee, the offender. Now, in as much as the victim is involved in this particular process, uh, there can be where procedures are not followed, which have got nothing to do with the applicant in this particular case. And in this particular instance, 
his application has been delayed by a year. Now, as the minister mentioned, usually um, it's usually two years where you must wait again, but I think he's been given a special uh, dispensation in this particular case um, that to reduce that to 12 months. But again, there's an element of too much, perhaps too much discretion that is lent to um, the minister and the parole board, I guess, from what I'm seeing here, only can make recommendations, and that's as far as it goes. And these are some of the problems that we've picked up here um, in terms of the parole process in, in South Africa. Yeah. Lucas Manting, your view on that? Yeah, I think uh, one of the key issues that have, have come to the fore is the extent of uh, victim involvement in parole board hearings. It, it seemed to be a case of uh, selective use. Um, the figures I could find was that in the 2011-12 financial year, there were 684 such cases where victims made representation to parole boards. Uh, there are roughly 3,000 releases per month. Uh, so it is, it's really a very small proportion of cases where victims do utilize this opportunity. Um, and then one must ask, uh, furthermore, if one do have victim representations at the parole boards, mm. uh, how are they interpreted? How are they utilized? There are 52 parole boards in the country. Um, do they all consider them in exactly the same manner, attach the same weight to them? Mm. Or does it differ from parole board to parole board? Um, and I think those are questions that, that uh, the Department of Correctional Services need to give clarity on. Because, and also, if this is part and parcel of the process, one wonders then why, in the case of Eugene de Kock, it, it didn't happen, given the fact that the minister had already announced on the fact that he will be making his decision, why didn't uh, they go back and consult the victims then? Because uh, those qu- sort of questions also come into play there, uh, Emmanuel. Well, look, yes, the, 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 these are part of the issues um, and part of many questions that people will ask because according to the, um, you know, the complainant directives under the um, uh, uh, Department of, of Correctional Services Act, the victim must give notification to a parole board if they want uh, to be informed about a parole hearing uh, regarding uh, an offender linked to their victimization. So what that entails is that... Um, after the conviction of the offender, and certainly prior, 30 days prior to the uh, parole board hearing, the, um, the victims or the victim's family must have notified the parole board that in this particular case, we want to be involved. Now, what, what that entails um, is that if they want to be involved, they must have been informed of this right. And I think this is an issue that points to them being informed, them being notified of their right to participate. Are victims being informed about this? Because at the end of the line, the minister has every right to ask, were victims, did victims participate in this process and why not? If there's nothing from the victims, he has that, I think he has that discretion to delay the um, ultimate hearing. But at the beginning here of this particular stage, are victims being informed? And if they are being informed, are they telling, are, are they notifying the uh, relevant board mm-hmm. that, that yes, we want to participate, or no, we do not want to participate. And if they say yes, we do want to participate, again, is the information coming through as to when the dates are, what the, de- what the deadlines are, how it is they are supposed to make the uh, representations to the parole board, and also, more importantly, what impact their representations will have upon the particular parole board. So there's a, 
there's trouble uh, in, within that context of passing down of information. There's so many questions in this particular case that have to be asked um, within the, this particular context, yeah. And then, uh, Lucas, you uh, spoke about the 52 correctional supervision and parole boards countrywide. And, you know, do we know how these boards are constituted? Yeah, um, civilian parole boards were introduced following the enactment of the, the 1998 Correctional Services Act. Um, so formerly parole boards consisted only of uh, officials of the Department of Correctional Services. So now we have civilian parole boards to which the case management committee that the minister referred to in his uh, statement provides the, the secretariat service. Um, but we must also keep in mind that parole boards only deal with cases where the offender has been sentenced to two years or more. Um, those offenders, and those are the bulk of releases who were sentenced to less than ten, uh, two years, uh, their decision to be released is made by the head of centre, again on the recommendation of the case management committee. But so parole boards deal with a lesser proportion of, of releases. The bulk of releases are dealt with, with uh, by the, the head of centre. But there, there has been numerous problems in parole board decision-making in the years, and at one stage there was a large number of court applications, and, and there were serious problems. I think the department has made an effort to correct some of those problems. But it's still a, a complicated system, and it's a confusing system, because there are different parole regimes in place, um, and that has resulted in problems over the years. Which brings us to our question that we are asking on the forum date this morning. Do politics get in the way of some of these parole processes? And this in light of the fact that we've uh, been hearing about uh, not only the Eugene de Kock issue, but uh, there's also the Clive Darby Lewis uh, parole application. And, of course, it brings to mind Shabir Sheikh, Jackie Salibi. And uh, given what transpired last week, some people are saying that perhaps we are playing politics instead of letting this process take its course. What's your take on that, Emmanuel? Yes. Um, look, I, I will look at the, the term politics from two perspectives. Um, one from a governance perspective and the other from uh, more to do with the exercise of uh, discretionary power. Now, when, when I talk about governance now, I look more at specifically the issues of the policies and the procedures and the law that is in place. Uh, um, is that being followed, uh, for example? Uh, so things are quite confusing. As Lucas has pointed out, things are quite procedural. And one may argue that the minister is using politics in this case to say, well, because the procedures say the families must be consulted and they have not been, we need to delay this. Uh, so that's one aspect of politics. Now, the other aspect which I think maybe most people will be interested in is uh, the use of power uh, against specific individuals uh, to use it uh, discriminately against a particular group of people. Because as we know, Eugene de Kock, per se, he is himself a political prisoner, uh, looking mm -hmm. at uh, his background as to why he is there in the first place. Um, but I think at this stage, given the facts that are before me, um, I would say the politics in place here is the governance aspect in terms of the use of procedures, right, um, as flawed as some of the issues are here. Uh, but in terms of is Eugene being, is the cock being discriminated against um, from that political perspective, I would say at this stage, no.
Um, I don't think so. Lucas, what's your take on that? I think that, I mean, the, the cases that you've mentioned, Eugene de Kock, Clive Darby Lewis, uh, on the one end of the spectrum, and then on the other end of the spectrum, Shabir Sheikh and, and Jackie Salevi, uh, the latter two being released on parole. I think there is, as Emmanuel has pointed out, there are governance concerns. Um, so it's, it's not a leap of the imagination to come to the conclusion that politics is at play. And I think that is a very dangerous situation because it places uh, question marks behind the integrity of parole decisions in South Africa. So how much confidence does the public have that parole boards, and ultimately in the case of, of people sentenced to life imprisonment, uh, where the minister makes the decision that that is a process of integrity and that we as a public can have confidence that only the best possible decisions uh, will be made that will not be challenged uh, in court or otherwise. Well, and the, uh, the lines are open. You can join in the conversation, 891 You can SMS us on 34701, tweet or Facebook, AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. And we are talking this morning to Emmanuel uh, Maravanyika, a senior lecturer, uh, was a lecturer at, um, uh, at Monash University. And we also have Lucas Manting, who is uh, from Civil Society Prison Reform Initiative. And let's go to the lines now. Mike, you're calling from Durban. Good morning. Oh, good morning to you, Mike from Durban, Durban. Welcome, Mike. Uh, my, my, my son was kidnapped, tortured, and murdered in 1996. Uh, the people were caught. Uh, the same guy did the same thing to two young Indian males. Now, he got three life sentences in the uh, High Court in Durban. Uh, a couple of months ago, he applied for to get out of jail. Now, none of the families were contacted. They know who the families are. We made a lot of noise at the time. None of them. And I feel that this, uh, after... After Shabir Sheikh was caught, I think he wrote a book of how, how to keep out of jail because we've had Prince Sophisa Zulu, uh, he's on Petra Parole, we've got Jackie Salevi, <laughs> and they're living a life of luxury today, these people. But it's very scary. I'm very worried about my circumstance. So have you been contacted at all, Mike? No, not at all. Nobody mm. has been contacted. And these were horrendous murders. Uh, when the judge summed up, Judge Alexander, he'd been a judge for many years. He retired five months after the case. He said it's the most horrendous case he has ever presided over. Now, we have not been contacted. Okay, thank you so much for uh, raising that for us, uh, Mike. Let's go to Faisal in uh, Mayfair. Good morning. Hi, Sakina. Yes, Faisal. Sakina, look, I find it uh, difficult to understand uh, why, in such a high-profile case, the Department of Correction Services didn't contact the victims. I mean, you know, you would expect, you know, the, uh, with, uh, with, the, with the Eugene Dukov case, that, that surely the, the Correctional Services 
should have conducted and done all, everything by the book because it's, it's going to, they're going to be scrutinized by the public in, this, in regard to this affair. I, 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 and, and, and therefore, I must conclude that there is some politics involved in this whole thing. The politics of, 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 of by, the, by, the, by the government and the ANC in, 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 in preventing, trying to prevent uh, the, the cock from, 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 from obtaining freedom by the rule of law. I find it une- I find it totally unacceptable. I'm no fan of Eugene the Cock, but uh, but uh, I find it totally accept- unacceptable that this sort of discrimination can take place in our country. Thank you so much, there, Faisal in Mayfair. Spiwa in KZN says, oh, "Were Prince uh, Zulu's victims ever consulted?" No, he was just released. And 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 I think um, uh, someone else also makes that point here on uh, Twitter. Uh, Kulu SD says, paroling Jackie Salibi uh, set a bad precedent. It was politically motivated. Thus, the cock would like to be paroled too. And uh, so it goes on. So this is what we are talking about this morning. We'd love to hear your views on it. Uh, we are asking on the forum at 8, uh, do politics get in the way of the parole process? And I'll get our guests to respond to what Mike was saying. Coming back to that issue that we did touch on about consulting with the victims, the victim empowerment part of this parole process and how effectively that is being utilized at the moment when it comes to uh, the issue of parole. So uh, we are speaking to Emmanuel Maravanyika as well as um, Lucas Manting and we'll take your calls, continue taking them as well as your messages on 34701, that's the SMS line AM Live on SASM for tweets or Facebook messages or at Sakina Kamwendo. Right now it's 8.30 it's time for news headlines with Tracy Boomgaard. Rowena seemingly not there, but I'm sure she has a jam-packed, exciting show packaged for you. And that comes up immediately after the 9 o'clock news. Well, back to our panel. And on the Forum at 8 this morning, we are asking... Do politics get in the way of the parole process? And just looking at uh, what uh, some of our listeners are saying on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, or via SMS, uh, Siandam Da on Facebook says, politics don't only get in the way of uh, parole processes, but they also undermine the rule of law. I don't understand why, if all the regulations have been met and all processes follow to the letter, don't they simply do what is required? Sviso Khadebe says, politics play a role everywhere especially in politically related events and Kenneth uh, Mungeka says I don't think so but I know some requests for parole are just impossible to grant and I think that this is not new then looking at some of the SMS's this one says uh, Eugene de Kock must get paroled uh, he ki- must not get paroled rather he killed so many people at Flakpas and remains uh, and the remains of their victims were never found. That's from Terence Brunk. And Gugu says that politicians want to save face for their blunders by using emotive issues such as the Eugene de Kock's parole to gain popularity. The ANC must pay reparations and help victims. I'll read more of those as we move along. But uh, just coming back to our guests this morning, Lucas Manting, as well as Emmanuel Maravanyika. Emmanuel, first to you, as we heard from Mike, now he touched on something that you uh, spoke to earlier, um, the inconsistency of the process, because Mike is a victim and he hasn't been consulted and he feels aggrieved by that. But then it also raises this issue, like you rightly pointed out, about the ra- this wide range of victims that may be out there and how that should actually impact on the uh, the entire process. 
Yes. Um, well, as I said earlier on, the policies are there, the regulations are there, and victims can participate. Uh, what we don't have is direction or directives in terms of which particular victims may participate. I would argue certainly that obviously anyone who has had, who's been directly affected or where the crime has had an impact upon that particular individual or even representatives from the community can participate uh, within that parole board hearing. But again, that information must be uh, decimated from the particular parole boards or from Department of Correctional Services, notice given any interested parties in this particular case or anyone with objections or even anyone with motivations why this person should be paroled or should not be paroled, uh, please uh, come forward. Um, Doesn't that exacerbate the problem, though, in terms of if, if, if people and especially victims, uh, you know, when they come forward, it's emotional. And isn't the law supposed to be unbiased and unemotional? Yes, the law is supposed to be neutral, um, and I will reiterate, the parole process is mainly designed for the applicant, the offender. This is what we want to determine. Is this person fit? Um, have, um, have they been rehabilitated? Can they go back uh, into society? Remember, parole is just a first step. When you are paroled, you are not just let go. You are still under supervision from the Department of Correctional Services. I think this is what people need to remember. This is different from someone who's simply been pardoned or someone who's, been, uh, who's finished their sentence, has completed their sentence, and is no longer under the control and supervision of the Correctional Services. So such individuals still are under correctional supervision, but a number of considerations must be met. And not only from the victim's perspective, this is one of the considerations to be made in totality. Uh, with the uh, representations made by the applicant here. And let's not forget, we should ask that question, is this individual ready to uh, be introduced, reintroduced into society as part of their reintegration? Mm. Right. Yes, this is the the main point of, of parole. Is this individual ready to be reintroduced into society as part of their reintegration? And by the time their sentence is complete, while they're still in society, um, they would have been fully rehabilitated. Um, and this is where now victims also come in. Uh, but I don't think they are the main de- 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 determinants in that particular regard there. But it raises their level of expectation, doesn't it, Lucas? Because they then expect, if they say no as the victims, that that would carry you know, a great amount of weight. It's, it's, it's one of the factors that the parole board uh, must take into consideration. And I, and I earlier made the point that there's not clarity on what weight uh, a parole board should attach to, to such an opinion. Does it, uh, does it uh, give it serious consideration or is it just uh, peripheral, peripheral to the decision? Um, there's no guidance on that as far as I know. The issue is that when a parole board makes a decision to release an offender on parole, that decision must be rational and it must be based on evidence because that parole applicant has a right under the Constitution to just administrative action. And if he or she feels that that did not happen, they can take it under judicial review. And and that causes problems for the department ultimately. Mm. Um, I think it's also important to, to note that the decision to release on parole or not um, 
there's not an opportunity to extend the punishment. Punishment is the task of the court, and the court took all the factors into consideration, including what the particular parole regime is when it imposed the sentence. Um, so the court realized that parole uh, can be considered after 20 years or 15 years or whatever the case may be. And then it is the task of the parole board to make that decision, as Emmanuel said, is this person ready to be released? And what must that parole board base its decision on? That is the information it gets from the case management committee on how this person has behaved in prison. In prison, uh, Did they participate in programs? Did they cause disciplinary problems, etc., and so forth? Um, and it's on that evidence. Um, so the crime itself that was committed, um, the court has already dealt with that. That is not the task of the parole board. Mm. And, of course, we will take those callers, and uh, they are lined up, and we'll read more of your messages, but we have to uh, just take a break very briefly, and then we'll put your questions to the panel. G'day, South Africa. Hayden Quinn here. Join me on my journey across your country as I kick off my epic trip from Cape Town. I get taught how to make babuti in the Cup. And for the first time in the history of the mother city, I prepare a dish atop Table Mountain. I get a few tips on how to reduce our impact on the planet and how to beautify the cities we live in. We also squeeze in a surf and an abseil. All of this and more this Monday night, 9.30 on SABC3. Uh, hello, can I help you? I am the Grim Reaper. Phew, well, that's a relief. I thought you were the tax man. <laughs> tax is no laughing matter, but if you look at it differently, it's not that scary. Just talk to a CASA tax advisor about your company taxes. With decades of experience, we're the tax leaders you can rely on. Find a tax advisor at findacasa.co.za. CASA, leaders in tax advice. When Zanele approached MNS attorneys to draw up a recording contract, keeping her in control of her music, we told her to keep writing while we do the rest. At Nightis in Clover and Sidu Media Attorneys, we know all the right keys in entertainment law. For any media and entertainment legal requirements, call us on 011-268-5225. MNS Attorneys, legal expertise in your corner. This woman Gandhi. Mikey! I know you are home. I have the latest Mkosi Pela. Come! Give me 30 minutes! How? Get ready for a shift with the changes on SABC2, your favorite shows, moving into new time slots, brand new shows, and new seasons of your favorite programs. It's your new world on SABC2. This new world. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Thanks for staying with us on uh, SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And on the Forum at 8 this morning, we are asking, do politics get in the way of the parole process? Now, listening to uh, the uh, former TRC deputy chairperson last week, Alex Bahrain, um, he said that Eugene Jacock uh, should have been paroled. And that was reiterated by evidence leader uh, for the TRC, advocate Dumisan Sebeza. And many others have echoed those sentiments as well. But of course, uh, 
uh, Minister of Justice, Michael Masuta, gave his reasons as to why that indeed did not play out. And uh, this morning we are asking you, do you think that politics is getting in the way of the parole process? And just reading some of the comments before I go back to the lines, uh, the SMS is coming through. This one says, uh, the parole or special treatment is giving to all that have money or who are politically connected, and that applies to all capitalist nations. Sheikh and Tony Yengeni as well. And then uh, we also have this one that says, could somebody please revoke Shabir Sheikh's parole? Hypertension is uh, a disease that can be controlled with medication. Why was he granted parole from the start? Please investigate Dr. Naidu, who was instrumental in the process. Uh, that's signed concerned. And then Pen Ekasi says, morning, racism is a mental disease. The cock should stay in jail. And this one, unsigned, says, yes, of course, that's what politics is about. Just look at who gets parole and who doesn't. And with that, let's go back to the lines, 891 Eddie's calling us from Urdendalsras. Good morning, Eddie. Hello, how are you? Very well, and you? Yes, thank you very much. I must also declare that I'm also part of the parole board. Okay. Eddie, I'll tell you what. But I must also mention whatever that I'm going to say is my personal opinion. I appreciate that, Eddie. I'm going to put you back because that line is not great. So I'm going to try and get the uh, team to get you on a better line. In the meantime, I'm going to move to uh, other callers. Let's speak to uh, Marjorie. Marjorie, good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Um, Sakina, I'm from Kulumani Support Group, and I wanted to share some of the challenges which um, and confirm what Emmanuel has said. What we are finding is you know, there are definite, clear procedures around parole and access to parole and all the administrative justice issues related to that. The big issue happens when um, families learn from the media that someone is about or being considered for parole, and it's the first time they have ever heard that they might have an opportunity to engage in the process. So the correctional facilities do very, very good work. Most of these um, offenders go through restorative justice programs, and in the course of those programs, they very often come to a point where they want to meet and take responsibility for the harm they caused to their victims. And that's the point at which there's enormous problems for the offenders in jail because um, the, the f- facilities look after offenders and they're not really geared for the process of helping them to meet their victims. And in many situations, we found that the offenders call us and say, please, can you help us? Uh, we want to contact our victims, and they don't know who their victims were. It was some of these roadblocks where people were shot dead, and it takes very, very committed social workers in um, in, in the correctional facilities to follow it up because it's an area of their competence um, that they're actually not they're not funded to do they, you know, there are a huge amount of issues there and it's very very important in terms of restoring the dignity of the victims that there are better procedures put in place to alert the families of victims about the processes that are going on within facilities mm. so and you know, those are some of the gaps, and they're very difficult gaps. Absolutely, Marjorie. And, of course, uh, you know, Mike just highlighted what you've just said to us right now earlier. Let's uh, try and see if Eddie's on a better line. Eddie, are you back with us? 
Yes, how are you? Much better, thank you. All right, thank, thank you very much. You know, the first question maybe that we need to do, I don't know whether the, the panel has already mentioned this, whether the parole, whether it's a right or privilege. I'll, I'll, I'll request them maybe to, to do that. I don't know how to do it. But the other thing is that we don't have a, 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 an information, uh, although I understand that it's a, it's a private information, to know that what was the maximum sentence that was imposed on, on, especially on Eugene de Kock. And the second one, we don't know what, what was the expired of, of that sentence, because that also can determine whether the decision by the minister is it, is it justifiable or not when you ask for a further profile on the life of, 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 of uh, on the um, uh, Eugene de Kock's parole. Uh, 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 and the other thing is, we need to appreciate that the minister is taking a uh, decision and the minister is doing something about it. You know, when, when asking for a federal profile, it gives a time for all parties to correct uh, all the mistakes that, that have been uh, uh, committed. And because this really, we need to check whether the victims are happy uh, and their representation also was forwarded or not. And I understand that they were not consulted. And there are, the last thing that I want to, to, to say is that, you know, this thing, whether you say it's political or social, but it's more of political, and we, might, we need to appreciate that. And because we know what, what, what happened. And if you understand, people are complaining a lot. For example, your MWD Club Foundation. And you, have, you know, Eugene has mentioned that he's not happy the way uh, MWD has dealt with this case. But he had some expectations from the former president. So, so those are the things that we need to, we need to change. But I'm, mm. I'm saying these are my own personal opinions on, on this. No. We don't know what is the expiry of the sentence. We don't know what, what was the minimum. Uh, sentence so that we can say the federal profile asked by the minister really just, is justifiable or not. Before, and I that's the private information. Before I release you there, Eddie, yes. when you say they need to check whether the victims are happy, yes. wh- what does that mean and how is that supposed to be factored into the process? I, I don't know whether you, you read the city press where even the, 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 the working people where other victims were saying, I forgive, I forgive, I want, I forgive, uh, uh, God for what, uh, mm-hmm. for what happened. But in other cases, you also get some victims who are saying, you know, I'm not happy for the man to be killed. I mean, you need to check, you need to balance that. Now, the federal profile requested by the minister, it gives you an opportunity to correct those things. Let us appreciate that the minister is doing something about it. Now, let's involve all parties that are involved so that we can be able to... This, the federal profile was about for two years, and the minister is saying, no, let's reduce it to trust money. So what, okay. what's the problem there, really? Thank you very much. Okay, got you there, Eddie. And Gerald in Durban, good morning. Hi, Sakina. Yeah, look, if it was only uh, political interference in the parole board, we'd have nothing to worry about in this country. But in fact, we have a crony justice system. Now, what I'd love for Eddie to explain to us is how you actually get on a parole board. Because to all other sensitive positions like the NPA, like IPAD, normally what they want is a connected crony appointed to those positions so that they can uh, meet out the selective crony justice that gets meted out in this country. And we only have to look what's going on in the NPA to see what's, how, how uh, selective it is. And if you do your job independently in the NPA, you end up like Harry Nell that gets arrested or you're like Linus Breitenbach that gets suspended because there are hundreds of cases in this country where people who it's a selective prosecution, people who are, who are absolute criminals never see the inside of a, of a jail cell. Richard and Dooley is a case in point. He'll never be prosecuted, and he, he, he has 
obviously information on the cronies, and they have to appoint someone at the NPA who's not going to prosecute him. Mm. But there are thousands of other cases. I mean, we can quote them endlessly. Well, okay, that's Gerald in Durban giving us his views there. Um, Lucas, what's your response to what the callers have had to say? I think in in overview uh, concerning victim participation in parole boards, um, I think on paper it's a a noble idea uh, to to give victims that opportunity. But, I mean, the the callers like Mike from the beginning and, and the others as well, have raised really practical concerns. Um, they are not informed. Uh, I think there are other practical issues. The offender may be detained in another province. Do they need to be physically there if they want to send the submission in writing? Who prepares that? Um, there, there are so many practical issues that one really starts questioning the the purpose of of this provision in law. If it, if it cannot be practiced in a fair and equitable manner. As I said earlier, there's some 3,000 parole releases per month. Mm. But the figures we have is less than 700 victim representations in, in a financial year. So is this a fair system? And then secondly, <clears throat> if, if, uh, I think it was Eddie who mentioned or explained that they must check whether the victims are happy. Um, I think if victims had the final say, very few people would be released on parole. Absolutely. So it again comes to the issue of consistency and is this a fair process. Mm. And, 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 and um, Emmanuel, if I can just come to you, this question about, um, you know, victims being unanimous, because, and, and, and again, you touched on this earlier, but then if you have, like in the case of a uh, Eugene de Kock, multiple victims, and they are not unanimous, and that expectation is also brought to bear on the process, how does this pan out? Yes, uh, it's... <coughs> In my opinion, um, while introducing victims into this particular process um, is a big win for victim empowerment, uh, it also at the very same time, I think, uh, confuses matters and delays issues, especially in this multiple victim um, scenario. Um, as one of the callers pointed out in, the, in some of the respective newspapers, you've got victims or um, family members, or remaining family members who said, you know, Eugene de Kock, we don't mind if he's re- released. And you've got those who say, no, he should rot in jail, etc., etc. Um, so hence it comes back to that question, what weight should the vi- victim participation in parole hearings have on the final decision? Because we're bearing in mind that this is not a victim process. This is more to do with the Offender, Mm -hmm. yes, this, and we should not lose focus of that. Yes, we take into consideration what all victims say, those who've had the opportunity uh, to make their representations, and we bear that in mind alongside the other factors, i.e., as Lucas pointed out, has the individual been rehabilitated? Um, Is there a risk of danger to the community, risk of danger to the victims as well, um, in their totality? So, Mm -hmm. an an overbearance. of the victim, I think, would be unjustifiable uh, and uh, t- towards uh, the offender who's due for uh, for parole. But at the same time, as one of the callers uh, pointed out here, um, yes, uh, where usually such cases are reviewed after two years, um, the minister has taken into consideration that. 
something is afoot here. Something did not happen and, and not due to the fault of the applicant here, that yes, the victims were not informed, but we don't know why the victims did not participate. Is it our fault, or is it the victims we knew but chose not to, etc.? It could be a variety of issues there. And of course, we'll come back and wrap up, but before uh, we uh, go to the break, just a few tweets here. Dillinger says, the problem with the cock issue is that it's a, it is a fact that it's a political crime, and our constitution does not have provisions for this. And Hydra Six says, I do not know why this is even being discussed on our SABC, because the cock should have been executed a long time ago, though some of the views coming through. South Africa, meet South Africa. Meet 50 million reasons to say hello. Eta, meet Hauset. Salam, meet Molo. One day, meet one day. Meet a nation that loves to play and dance. Saki Saki, meet Pansula. Meet the original trance. Meet sunshine and taste our country's finest wine on Africa's favorite airline. There's a story in each seat because great things happen every time we meet. South Africa, meet South African Airways. We are ready to connect you. South African Airways, bringing the world to Africa, taking Africa to the world. Dancing, it's a language all on its own. With a dance, you can say, I love you. You can say, I want you, baby. You can say, no, it's one, two, three. Can't you count? Or they don't know what they're talking about. And they're just the favorites. We were better. You can say it all with dance. Catch all the drama on the dance floor with a new season of Strictly Come Dancing from 18 July at 8, only on SABC3. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Do politics get in the way of the parole process? That's what we ask this morning. And, of course, uh, uh, discussing it with our panel, trying to get answers uh, to your question. And there was a question also about uh, parole from Eddie, whether it's a right or a privilege, and uh, that that should be clarified. Let me give that one to you, Emmanuel. I was dying to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, that debate continues. Um, as a right, no, there is no right to parole, but if we look at what the purpose of imprisonment is, and of course you've got different categories of prisoners, um, high security, low security, etc., people who have committed different crimes, generally if you go through the uh, processes of rehabilitation, the various programs, etc., so that Marjorie talked about um, earlier on there, then there is generally is, and the courts have also recognized that there is a reasonable and general expectation that you will receive parole uh, for early reintegration. But as things stand in South Africa, parole is a privilege. Um, it is not a right. But the courts will argue that to an extent it is a right on the basis of that reasonable expectation that having followed procedures, having behaved in prison, having uh, attended various programs, um, having uh, these various programs of restorative justice, etc., etc., um, tentatively it is a right. But as things stand, it is a privilege and not a right. Lucas, I want to put this one to you very uh, quickly because we are running out of time. I have two SMSs here, separate ones, talking about the issue of APLA members denied parole in uh, the so-called democracy. Why are they still languishing in jail, the one SMS asks. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to uh, make a decision or give comment when, <clears throat> when one is not aware of, of all the detailed facts. 
But, uh, yes, there has been, especially from the IFP, also people who insist that the crimes they committed were politically motivated, but that has not been proven in the court. My guess is that is probably the, the case here, um, that that political connection has not been shown. Um, and then I think it is perhaps a case of... Uh, parole boards uh, not being consistent in decision making Mm. Okay, and unfortunately we are out of time. I just want to run through the last uh, few uh, SMSs here. This one says, please tell us what the crimes were for which de Kock did not receive amnesty. And that was, of course, um, he was sentenced to two uh, terms of life imprisonment for the murders of uh, Yapi Maponya and the Nalsprate Five. And, uh, yeah, I think that was that. And he was sentenced to a further 212 years imprisonment for conspiracy to to commit murder, culpable homicide, kidnapping, assault and fraud. And as you know, Eugene de Kock was a very busy man. And uh, then this one here, what about the victims of Chris Harney's terrorist murders? That's unsigned. And David Moisi says, Sakina, let's be fair in our juxtaposition of cases. We're talking about a person guilty of crimes against humanity and not simply corruption. Politics is not getting in the way. It is and should be a consideration. So uh, those some of the SMSs coming through this morning. To our guests this morning, thank you so much for your participation, Emmanuel Maravanika and uh, uh, also Lucas Manting. Thanks for your time. And to our audience, as always, thanks for your great participation and to the production team for making sure it all went out loud and clear. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning between 6 and 9 a.m. In the meantime, it's time for the news with Tracy Boomgard.